You have reached Pod Level Midnight, a conversation show about sports, movies, and whatever else we find along the way. I'm your host, Josiah Dury. Let's go. All right, we're back. It's it's final four week. I was not necessarily planning on revisiting the NCAA tournament on this podcast, but there's been some developments, um, specifically with my North Carolina Tar Heels and with just a really exciting tournament so far. And so I wanted to bring back Grant Martinson, who was here for our tournament preview and had some some takes as well. And we want to evaluate where we're at with the final four and see um, what's going to happen here this weekend. So Grant, welcome back. Thanks, Josiah. Glad to be back under uh, under these circumstances. couple of the takes from both you and I have aged well, obviously a few that didn't age well, but it's always good to be uh, back on the pod. That's how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing is I need to uh, process a lot of um, anxiety and um, pressure that I'm feeling this week with uh, the apocalypse looming on Saturday. And yeah, we'll get to that in a minute. But first I want to talk about just the tournament that we've had so far. It's been a very exciting tournament. We've had storylines, we've had upsets, we've had Cinderella's, um, we've had conferences um, revealed to be fraudulent. And yeah, what what has been kind of your biggest takeaway of the first uh, two weekends of the tournament? Um, yeah, I think, I mean, we can, we can go into the Big Ten stinks uh, right away, but also with the whole conferences, I mean, like the ACC, 20 minutes away from going to the Final Four, which would have given the ACC three final four teams um, and everybody in the national media was just writing them off saying they were a bad conference. Um, and then contrary, everybody said the sec was this was the basketball conference as well. And then you have Kentucky losing, you have Auburn losing and you have um, Tennessee losing before the sweet 16. So I think, do you know, one of my do, biggest- do you know off the top of your head, how many uh, births the sec had? Um, let me go ahead and check. So the, I did look this up, um, as we're getting into the elite eight, um, because the, the ACC did have three elite eight teams and obviously two now in the final four and the ACC only had four teams total in the tournament. Whereas the big 10, as you, um, let us know in the preview podcast had nine teams that made the tournament and zero made the elite eight, um, only two in the sweet 16. So I'll let you go off more on that, but what was the SEC at? Uh, hold on a sec. I'm just trying to look it up. The SEC had one, two, three, four, five. The SEC had five teams make the tournament, and only one of them, uh, Arkansas, played Duke. That was the only one that really made it anywhere. So, yeah. Yes. So let's. Uh, yeah, I want to put a quick, uh, quick reminder for anyone that missed our preview podcast of just kind of work, what Grant's position was before the tournament even started. <laughs> You ready for this one, Josiah? This one, I'm naming this the Big Ten Stinks bracket. The Big Ten Stinks. All right. Nine teams from the Big Ten made the tournament this year was way too many. And I hate, I know we live in Big Ten country. I hate how the national media continues to anoint the Big Ten as like this great basketball conference, this great football conference. It's average. But last year was supposed to be the Big Ten's year. Do you remember that? Oh, we Listen, got Listen, you're Iowa. preaching to the choir on this one. 
oh, we got Iowa. Oh, we got Illinois. Oh, we got Ohio State. None of those teams snipped the Sweet 16. So, Grant, after that, um, what happened with the Big Ten? Um, Do you feel like you have been vindicated in the Big Ten stinks trademark um, take? Vindicated is not even a big enough word to describe how I feel. I feel cleansed. I feel as though like the sun is just shining down upon me. Two teams made the sweet 16 from the big 10. Obviously both of them lost one of them to St. Peter's, which we'll get to in a minute. And Mm -hmm. then Michigan also took a big time L in their game against Villanova, just completely outclassed. And it was just, it was just perfect. Like Michigan, like the, again, the thing is, Everybody just always on the Big Ten, and it's just Illinois got crunched by – like, they, they got ran out the gym by Houston. Um, Ohio State, again, they got outclassed by Villanova. Um, Wisconsin, Wisconsin lost to Iowa State, yeah. Oh. Iowa State might have won the Big Ten if they were in it this year. <laughs> Iowa State, 54-49. to 49. You can't have Johnny That's Big Davis. Ten basketball. Yeah, and – of course, the, the biggest laughing stock of all, Iowa wins the Big Ten tournament and then loses a loses to Richmond, who they Richmond needed to win the A10 tournament just to qualify. Yeah. And then they get thoroughly outplayed by them. Fran McCaffrey once again does not reach the sweet 16. I don't think that enough people talk about that. And it's just every year they and every year they continue to get the benefit of the doubt. And every year they continue to fall short of everybody's expectations, even mine. So very, <laughs> yeah, you very couldn't have drawn it up better than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, just a very, very lackluster tournament from the big 10 and like even circling on Purdue, like this was supposed to be like the Purdue team. I mean, this was, this was setting up so perfectly Josiah for them mm-hmm. to go to the final four. They got to play, um, St. Peter's, and then it was North Carolina. Like, that was their alleged road, a 15 and an 8 seed, and then they can't beat the the Peacocks with Jay Nivey, maybe the best player in the league, the 7-4, Zach Eady, other really great players. So just a very underwhelming tournament once again from the Big Ten, and I was enjoying every single second of it. Yeah, we're still waiting 20-plus uh, years since the last Big Ten national champion, so maybe someday, but – yeah, that's the biggest thing I think that's annoying is the way that these narratives happen during the season where a team like North Carolina and other ACC teams who are putting up, you know, solid records and everything, but because their conference is somehow perceived as as weaker, even though the ACC has historically been the, you know, one of, if not the best basketball conferences, and suddenly you only have four teams making the, making the tournament at all, and three of them make the Elite Eight. So glad to be oh. proven right on that, yeah. Oh yeah. And I mean, think about it. You're wake forest or you're Virginia, you go 13 and seven, or you go 12 and eight and you don't make the tournament. And it's like, we just play it in arguably the toughest conference in America. I mean, everybody's watching how these guys are playing in even, even like Notre Dame, like they beat Alabama, a really good team. Sorry. So there are six sec teams, but like they beat, they beat Rutgers and they beat Alabama. Like the ACC had a really good showing, but again, these national narratives and some of the, I don't know, computer numbers, analytics just weren't showing in their favor. So it's tough a break for some of these teams and some of these programs, but you just can't always get it right. 
Yeah. Speaking of the, uh, of the SEC, there was, we did get treated this year to a 15-2 um, upset. We were hoping it would be Duke losing, but instead it was Kentucky uh, losing to St. Peter's and then St. Peter's going on a run, the longest run that a 15 seed has ever made um, to the Elite Eight where they were thoroughly outclassed, but we'll get to that. Um, just a great run. Everyone got, everyone was on the Peacocks, Peacock fever swept the nation. Um, just a great run for that, um, for that program. And seeing some of the pictures of like their gym compared to everyone that they're playing against and stuff, it looks like a, you know, it looks like the SRC or a high school gym or something like that. So um, yeah, just your thoughts on the Peacocks. It's great. It's what everybody loves about march and it's bet like think about it if you're those kids you're that program like you just had two weeks of straight nirvana in your life and it is everything that you want to see in march with the great underdog story the super likable coach likable players and again it's it's why you watch is to see a team like saint peter's who nobody's heard of nobody even probably had like they were somebody made a joke they were walking in with their with their jumpsuits and they didn't even have like the saint peter's logo on them it was just an adidas logo yeah so it is everything you could want in march and i'm super glad that it happened hats off to the peacocks they deserve every bit of um every bit of the accolades they got and i'm really glad too that shaheen holloway is able to parlay that into the seton hall job he deserves every dollar amount he gets and all the other things that come with it so great run by the peacocks yeah, and beating three pretty legitimate programs, obviously Kentucky and Purdue, but also Murray State, who has been a, a staple in March for, for many years. So great stuff from them. A couple other notable upsets. Um, we had you know several one seeds go down, only one one seed making the final four, uh, Baylor losing in the second round. And um, I believe Arizona lost to Houston um, in the Sweet 16. And yep. Auburn, who was a team that I liked at least to potentially make a run, in the tournament lost in the second round as well to Miami. So lots of chaos, lots of uh, upsets, but ultimately we get the blue blood final four. So any other significant things you had, you know, thought no. um, from the first two weekends. So my biggest thing was when I, like when you walk, I know everybody loves the first two days, which they're awesome. These second round games were just fantastic through and through. Like the upper left, Gonzaga-Memphis, great game. New Mexico State-Arkansas, great game. Texas Tech-Notre Dame, close. Duke-Michigan State, close. Obviously, like all these games on the second day were just fantastic games. They were either really, really big upsets or they were just really good, close games and high levels of basketball being played. So it's just, again, that, that was kind of my biggest takeaway is, yeah, the first two days, like, Everybody's drained from watching all the games, but there's still another couple of days where there's a high level of basketball being played. Yeah. You get a lot of those um, either blowouts or close games in the first round. It seems like where the second round there's, you know, and there's also something to be said about, it's always interesting with the way that the schedule works. You have, you know, five, six days to prepare for your first opponent. And then if you win, suddenly you're playing again, 48 hours later or less. And how do teams, you know, do when they're preparing for a week versus preparing for, you know, within a day, not even knowing who you're going to play yet. So that's always an interesting challenge for coaches and teams to see what they have left for, um, for their other opponents, the second, second game of the weekend. Doctor, you maybe that's, I think maybe that's what Murray state's coach is saying, like, Oh, we didn't prepare for St. <laughs> Peter's. So that's kind of yeah. why that's his biggest reason for the loss. Yeah. That's uh that's somewhat legitimate. Um, yeah, the do you have a game of the 
even just this last weekend, what was was there a game that was kind of the game of the weekend? Sweet 16 um, or Elite Eight? Yeah, uh, game of the weekend for sure, I think was probably that Texas Tech-Duke game. That one was fantastic. Like, it was just so back and forth. I know you're UNC fan, but it was just so back and forth, and it felt like that was going to be the nail in Coach K's coffin, but somehow Duke – Duke just didn't miss in the final like seven minutes and was able to pull away on that one. So that one was a really good game. Um, obviously, Purdue St. Peter's was fantastic. But uh, yeah, just in terms of a high level quality game, I really liked that Texas Tech Duke game. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, I'd say the Carolina UCLA game was a very high level played, very highly played game as well. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, we're getting to the final four now, which is, like I said, kind of the most blue blood final four in a long time. One of the most, I was reading a little bit about people comparing it to others. There's been a few others where you have like the three traditional blue bloods. And then, you know, whether you want to count Villanova as a blue blood or not, I don't know, but one of the, you know, premier programs of the last 10, 15 years. So that's about as, um, as stacked as you can get. You had predicted that we would have blue on the right side, but red on the left side. Instead we have all blue. So um, on the right side of the bracket, we'll go to first before we get to the main event. So Villanova and Kansas, um, what are you seeing out of those two teams? Obviously Villanova sustains the, the devastating injury to one of their, um, one of the guards, right? Um, yep. And will be tough to move on from there, but they're just so solid. And then Kansas has, has looked pretty great throughout the tournament. Yeah, I've, I've been talking for a while. I think this is a, uh, this was a Kansas national title, title team, like at least caliber wise to, to win it all. But college basketball is a lot about coaching, Josiah. And Jay Wright has beaten really good Kansas teams before. Beat them to win the national championship in 2016 in the Elite Eight, and then beat them in the Final Four in 2018 to win the national championship. So, so Jay Wright is loving this. Jay Wright is like, all right, perfect. We're right on schedule. And so that one will be very interesting to see how, especially again, Villanova responds without Justin Moore, how they handle uh, David McCormick. Now Jermaine Samuels for Villanova has also been playing really well. And then of course, Remy Martin for Kansas is such a wild card that I don't really know what to expect. I think Kansas should win this game. And dare I say it, I think they should win by like double digits if I were to be so bold but that'll be that'll be a really closely contested game because once again jay wright and villanova always seem to play well um in the tournament what's what's your opinion on bill self as like an in-game coach i think he does i think he actually does a really good job i mean they made the adjustments against miami and just crushed the second half against them but I think he really gets it and he just knows exactly how to make adjustments. And yeah, so far I I'm very impressed by what bill self has done. Yeah. I'll never forget the, uh, in 2012 when Carolina played them in the elite eight and if not for a Kendall Marshall injury, I think we would have won that game easily, but he, uh, he flustered Stillman white to the extent where we were not able to prevail in that game. And that was a tough one for Carolina, but I remember some of the, I think they were running the box and one on us at one point to isolate Harrison Barnes. And I was just so frustrated, but, but he has a bit of a reputation too, for not being able to get over the, over the hump in some of these games too. So it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. Jay Wright, certainly one of the best in the nation. So, so let me, as we get to the, as we set the stage for the, um, what some are calling the game of the century. Uh, <laughs> let me uh, talk a bit about what I've just seen from this Carolina team over the last couple of weeks. Cause it's been really exciting to see. And 
you know, we talked before the tournament and I was saying, you know, it'd be great if Carolina can win a couple of games, maybe sweet, maybe, you know, give Baylor a good fight or whatever. And what I would say is I going into every game of this tournament, I believe that they could win the game and, and would win the game. The, the issue has been with them all season has been consistency. And right now they are playing as well as anyone in the country because they are only playing five guys for the most part. They're playing the so-called um, Iron Five, who I think have now earned that name. Um, who is is there a better starting five in the nation right now, Grant, than these five guys? No, not right now. I those guys are just playing very, very good basketball, and it's fun to watch. And so. I think they're the classic example of you know we talk about this a lot in basketball you know, the five fitting together and the the whole being more than the individual parts, you know, and that's not often the case with a Carolina team. Like Carolina is usually just drowning in talent and able to win by talent in a lot of cases. And these guys are mostly very highly recruited as well, but they have become more than they were um, apart because they've come together and because they only play with each other, they've found their own roles as well. And there's so much trust for one another and experience with one another. And it's just been great to see. And they have the five guys have such a baseline of consistent play, but then they also have the ability Four of the five guys have the ability to go for 20 or even 30 in any given game. We've seen that we've seen, um, you know, both of the guards, um, RJ Davis and Caleb Love have, have both had 30 point games in the tournament. Manic has had 28 and 26. Um, and Baycott has been twenties and, you know, double doubles. Um, he tied Tim Duncan's double double record for the ACC this, this year, and we'll break it if he gets another one. So, then you have Leaky Black, who is not uh, ever going to score probably even in double digits, but he's one of the best defenders in the country. Um, he's a, it was crazy to see against St. Peter's because it was like they just have not seen a guy this this big and strong and physical because um, he was just eating up some of their some of their players and some of their offensive um, sets and stuff. So you have him as a weapon and you got a couple guys off the bench that can come in and fill in when when needed. So it's just been great to see them them come together and for these guys to really believe in one another and play um, play team basketball. And the one thing I'd say about Hubert Davis is in his first season, he's, you know, there's been a lot of growing pains and stuff, but he's got them playing the best basketball at the right time. And he's also been willing to do things differently than Roy Williams did. He Roy Williams was notorious for playing 10, 11 guys. Um, Hubert is playing five, maybe six, maybe seven for a couple minutes. And um, they're playing a different style. It's not as up and down. It's a little more half court, um, obviously different spacing, all these sorts of things. And even some of his, I think, leadership style, you're not going to see him getting down in the stance as much like Roy did, all those sorts of things too. So the way he's been able to be himself as a leader, um, I would encourage anyone who maybe is getting ready for this final four and wants to learn a little bit more about Hubert Davis and, and North Carolina, watch the, uh, the post-game press conference from the Elite Eight win and Hubert, he goes on for about five minutes talking about just um, how much this means um, not to him, but to, to the, to the kids and how much he, you know, every question he gets about himself, he just says, it's not about me. It's about them. And I think just, he's a clearly a very, a very humble leader who is putting his players um, first and just wants the best for them. And it's been working. And I think the, the program is in great hands, regardless of what happens this coming weekend, making the final four in your first season is an accomplishment and doing it from, from an eight seed and from at one point, a bubble team, allegedly, um, despite the talent that they have. So we can get into the game itself. Cause I think 
you know, there's obviously risks to only playing, only being able to rely on five players. And we saw that in the, um, let me just run through the games that they've won this tournament too. Cause I think it, I think that they've been as impressive as any of these final four teams. Um, Marquette, they were up by 30 in the first half uh, and won by 32. Um, and just, you know, you don't often see that in eight, nine matchup. That's for sure. Then you get the defending champion Baylor in Texas. You're playing a road game in Texas. Um, Carolina pretty, pretty much buries them, puts them down 25 in the second, in the second half. And then we all saw what happened with the, uh, the comeback and a lot of uh, questionable calls and, the main reason for that comeback being two of Carolina's starting five being out one ejected and one fouling out. So as long as they've got their five out there, those are, have been as far as um, net rating and everything else, they've been the best five in the tournament. Um, and then the sweet 16, a great game against UCLA, a lot of great shot making. And that's the Caleb love game. He took over, went for 30, 27 in the second half. And he, uh, I'll, I'll talk about him more as we get to the game, but then you get, then you get St. Peter's and, the question was for a lot of uh, people in the, uh, you know, on Tobacco Road and in the Triangle and everything, fans of both Carolina and Duke is like, do we actually want this? Because <laughs> it's never happened. Uh, we've never played each other in the tournament. And honestly, until you get to the Elite Eight, like once, it, anytime people were talking about it, everyone was like, we don't want this. Like if one of us has to lose, like that's fine. Like we would rather just not have to deal with this. But once Duke won in the Elite Eight, I said, you know, if someone's got to do this, it's going to have to be us to take out Coach K. So I honestly, St. Peter's, it was a pretty classic. Like you get over that hump, you go, you win your third game. Those teams don't out, don't often make the final four. And if they do, then they, you know, eventually, you know, your luck's going to run up, not luck, but your, you know, clock's going to strike midnight. And um, that's what happened. And they were clearly looking like a 15 seed um, against North Carolina. So Carolina winning by, by 20 in that game. So all that sets the stage for the first matchup ever between Carolina and Duke in the tournament and all the other subplots that go along with that. So with that being said, let me just ask you, what has been your impression of this, of this Carolina team so far in the tournament and out of the four, I know you're kind of predicting Kansas pretty, pretty heavily in the, um, on the right side of the bracket, but I mean, these teams are all playing well, but has there been one that you think has been kind of the most impressive through four games? Yeah, I, I do think it has been North Carolina has been the most, uh, has definitely been the most impressive. Nobody really in this tournament, like Baylor did last I'm going to let you go, but anyone that says like, oh, they beat a 15 seed to get to the final four, they beat two of the final four teams from last year, the defending champs on the road in Texas. And then, a UCLA team who was in the final four and brought back all five starters. So that's how they had to do before they got to St. Peter's who obviously deserves all the respect. Yep. For sure. And it is amazing. Like nobody going into this final four has actually been playing. I, I mean, again, North Carolina has probably been playing the best out of all of these teams. Like everybody that's been in the final four, you look at Duke's road, they kind of squeaked by Michigan state squeaked by Texas tech. It did take off. They did a pretty good job of putting Arkansas away with just a really bad first half managed by the Razorbacks. Nova kind of sloughed their way through with some five point wins. Kansas had a couple of close ones with Providence and Creighton, but man, North Carolina has just been playing so hot. And like you said, with those five, like when when you're a basketball team and you just believe in each other, it's it's a different feeling, I think, than like in any other sport. 
I know baseball kind of has teams get a little hot and can start to believe, but in basketball, when it's just your five guys and it's just that locker room and just that coach, it's North Carolina has been the most impressive team in the tournament so far. And I, I don't know how this game is going to go on Saturday. So, oh gosh, it's yeah. well, the, it's so interesting because it was like, I mean, obviously they had a very inconsistent season so far and they've had people um, rotation players that have been are now no longer even with the team and things like that. And I just thought it was, you know, Hubert's getting all the credit and he deserves it, but it's like, what happens if we just play our far best five guys for 35 minutes a game? Like it's crazy <laughs> that more teams don't do that. Like I'll be interesting to see what Duke does, like how many bench guys they bring in and stuff, because as long as you don't get into foul trouble, which we're going to get to with this game, you have so many timeouts, you have so many TV timeouts, you have, you know, the ability to um, use your own timeouts, all that sort of stuff. It's 40 minutes. These guys are 18, 19, 20. Like they're not tired. They're not, they have not been like fatigued at all. And that's, I mean, part of it is they've developed this ability as well. And that's why they're called the iron five, but I don't see the reason to not do this other than if you have the depth or if you're developing, you know, different skill sets and stuff. And that's the cool thing too, with the two guys that they brought in, in this tournament in um, Puff Johnson and, um styles are basically just leaky black clones um they don't do much offensively (laughs) styles did come up huge um in the baylor game hitting a three in overtime and uh, it's a little bit more of um kind of creative ability but puff johnson's been great he's he was um i was kind of concerned actually because they're putting him on juzang in that ucla game i was like why isn't leaky on him but he did a great job he had some big stops on the stretch so it's it's knowing the roles you know that people are filling and yeah being able to trust one another and you know it makes sense for these kids that you know as mostly uh sophomores and juniors on this team you know they they don't uh maybe know how to play with all these random people that come in but when you only have the same people in the same roles at all times in the game it makes so much sense to be able to to do that and to continue with with that and that's why they've you know improved so much over the last just even couple of weeks and have figured that out for themselves. Yeah, it, it has been, it's, it's so interesting to see how college teams develop throughout the year. And I was also kind of looking at Duke, they, Duke also, they only play like six or seven guys. Theo John really hasn't quite developed the, the Minnesota kid into what they thought he was going to be. So it's literally going to be just mano y mano, the, your best five versus our best five, and they're just going to go at it. So it should be, it should be really interesting to see how the in-game management, like you said, with uh, Bill Self, like how these two coaches are like are playing chess against each other. The coach K, very experienced, has a lot of years under his belt versus Hubert Davis, the first year coach making the final four, which again, should not be underestimated or should not be overlooked as far as how impressive that is. Yeah. I mean, I think most of what I've seen from coach K down the stretch this year is just like give Paolo the ball and let him, <laughs> let him score, which, you know, great decision. Um, <laughs> I was keys say, to I the could... game. Speaking of kind of rotation stuff, I have three made keys to this game. Number one, foul trouble, because both these teams don't play a lot of guys. Like you said, I think Duke is deeper um, and can sustain that a little bit better, but the, Duke is not going to come in with the same game plan that they had in the, at the game in Cameron, which was 
foul Baycott out or else we're screwed. And they were screwed because Baycott was like plus 24 in the minutes that he played in that game and only had two fouls. So they're going to have to, that'll be plan B. They'll still try to get Baycott in foul trouble, um, but they'll have other um, options as well. But I would also say that if Carolina can get um, Williams into a little bit of foul trouble, because Williams is a great center too and a tough matchup for Baycott. But speaking of Theo John, if Theo John is seeing like 10 plus minutes in this game, that's going to be, it's going to be barbecue chicken alert for the, uh, for Carolina. So um, I would love to see Theo John out there um, and probably getting like more technical fouls too. So um, other, I mean, if anyone on the starting five gets in foul trouble for Carolina, it's a problem, but Baycott's the main one just because he's down low and can be targeted. And Williams is a tough matchup for him. You know, the guards, you can, you can spend some more fouls out there. Leaky's great at not getting in foul trouble. Manic, just watch those elbows. Um, that's all I'd say on that. So, um, yeah, I hope it doesn't become the storyline, you know, hopefully the refs, um, let me ask you this. Do you think they should either raise or eliminate the, um, fouling out rule? Yeah, it just can't be five because the two in the first half, I mean, we even saw it in the, uh, with the Arkansas Gonzaga game with Chet. I mean, Chet, you know, if you're just a casual fan, it's like, oh, I want to kind of watch the uh, the basketball, like see the number one overall pick. You saw Chet play maybe like 23 minutes. It's just not a high quality product. Like right. you want your best players and you want your best assets out on the court. And if they pick up two fouls in the first half, it's like, hey, you know, you got to sit out for the rest of the rest of the, I mean, uh, what was it? The 07 national championship game where Joakim Noah and Greg Oden fouled out or didn't foul out, but they both picked up two fouls in the first half. And it's like, well, I want to watch the best basketball teams and they're not the best basketball teams without some of their best players. So I think, I think six personal fouls is what you need. And I don't know if, when that will be adopted, but I hope semi soon, just so that we don't have to continually watch some of these first halves without the best players on each team in there. Well, and then also leads to just teams, their strategy becomes foul hunting instead of playing, you know, playing the game, which is, is not good basketball either. My, one of my maybe more controversial takes is I think that they should just, you shouldn't, you can't have unlimited fouls as an individual player. Obviously the team thing still, um, still applies and you get into the bonus and all those sorts of things, but it doesn't make a ton of sense to me why that has to be a rule as, I mean, there's flagrants, obviously, if those sorts of things are, you know, there can still be, eliminations and, and ejections, but I don't know. I need to workshop that take a little bit, but that's just my take. No, um, I, I like that a lot. And you know what, honestly, just like, and I don't I'm even mean just college, like NBA, like every, like, yeah. Well, I mean, think about if I'm <laughs> shoot, if I'm playing against a guy who keeps fouling, yeah, let him get nine, 10 fouls. Cause right. that means I'm going to the line that much more like keep that guy. In the, I want that guy in the game who's fouling all the time. So yeah, I, I like that rule actually a lot. Especially with just the inconsistency of of basketball refereeing and how hard it is to to officiate. And we see some of these when, you know, two questionable calls add up and then you get a couple, you know, fouls here and then suddenly the best player isn't playing anymore, which is not which is not fun. So that's the first key to the game. Hopefully it doesn't become as long as those Baylor refs are nowhere near this game, I think we're gonna be okay on that. Um the second thing, and I think this is always, maybe this is a cliche, but I think that the percentages have bared it out. The final four is obviously played in a dome in front of, this is a super dome. It's going to be like 60, 70,000 people. And perimeter shooting tends to just become more inaccurate 
when you're shooting in that setting instead of a traditional basketball arena. So if that's the case here, which team is able to shoot better from three? I mean, basically that's what it comes down to. Both these teams, I wouldn't say they live or die by the three, but they both um, can certainly win games because of the three, um, especially Carolina. So I think that's going to be a huge factor. And if, if it's, if you're hitting, then, you know, whoever is able to, to hit is going to probably win. And if not making that adjustment and then being able to, um, you know, score in other ways. So do you have any thoughts about just perimeter shooting when it comes to these final four games? It can be when it, when it's bad, it's so bad. It, especially, I mean, Carolina won, but that 2017 national championship game was just incredibly rough to watch. Yeah. I, it, it's literally, it was funny. They were asking, uh, I think there's, I was listening to an interview with Eric Musselman. It's like, do you ever like coaches ever just tell guys like, Hey, stop shooting threes. Right. And it's like, which coach, you know, if Duke or North Carolina starts out one of 10 from threes is Davis or coach K going to be like, all right, guys, like we're going to pound it inside. And honestly, if you get to that point, I really like North Carolina's chances because AJ Griffin will keep shooting. Um, and he, he yeah, Roach has been doing a better job of not settling for three, but if we can get him to, to shoot, I think that that would be another, you know, another potential key. Exactly. So which, which team is going to actually, which which team is going to be the most disciplined and not shoot threes if they're not hitting them. I think that's going to be a big factor in the game is here's my, this is my small prediction is that Brady Manick's going to hit like three or four threes because he's such a pure shooter. I feel like he shoots with his eyes closed. Like it's not going to affect the sight lines aren't going to affect him. I feel like it's all feel with him. So that's my prediction. And my hope is Manick comes in and is hitting like he was in that Baylor game and um, brings us over the top. So that's kind of my last key is kind of what you're saying as far as discipline and just, just the pressure of the game. Um, I feel like, I mean, there's enormous pressure on both teams, but it still is a little bit more on Duke. Carolina's the underdog. Carolina's not supposed to be here. This is still Coach K's last season, everything that goes along with that. So there's obviously the re- the revenge factor from the last regular season game. But Carolina is a little bit more experienced. Neither of these teams have been to the Final Four, but Carolina has senior leadership. They have, you know, they're not playing any freshmen other than um, Styles is playing, you know, a few minutes. Maybe he won't even play whereas Duke is relying more on, on freshmen. So who can handle that pressure? Who's ready for the moment? Um, and then who comes up, you know, big at the end, I think it's going to be a close game. So what do you think? Yeah. I think a lot of that rings true. Like, how's it, uh, how are each play? How, how are the players going to handle? You know, I do think there is a tremendous amount of pressure on, on both now, just because right. yes. like the North Carolina guys, they know about the rivalry. They know how big this is for the fan base, but, the Duke guys also know about it and, you know, North Carolina, not, not a, not a secret anymore. I mean, uh, they never have been, but it's just, they kind of came into that Duke game. Like, all right, let's just let her fly. And they absolutely crushed Duke at that point. But now it's sort of you know, like, I don't know these, I could see it going either way. Vegas has this as a four point spread, which I think is very fair as far as like how close these two teams are. So I would like to see, hopefully RJ Davis can do what he did yeah. back in Cameron, like in a, in a gym full of, you know, number one overall pick like Paulo Banchero grit. Like he was the best player on the floor that game with, without a doubt, like he just controlled the entire flow of the game. And so hopefully he can do exactly that. 
um, the next, well, this time that they play. So, yeah, if they can attack Duke's defense the way that they did in that game, then I feel, I feel great, especially with the pick and roll and they were getting Baycott going to in that game. And I think the kind of the maybe national uh, coverage and um, surface level will be like Paolo versus Caleb Love because Caleb Love had the high profile, incredible performance in the in the Sweet 16 game and is capable, you know, is the number one, is the you know top prospect on Carolina, whether he's, you know, going to be a first round pick or not, I don't know, but came in as this highly touted guy and has had a up and down two years at Carolina. I think he expected to only be here for one um, because he came in and was on the heels of, of Kobe white going one and done. And then of, of Cole Anthony going one and done two lottery picks two really, really great scoring guards. And he's going to expect it to be the next one. And he has that ability, like, seeing him go for 30 in that game against UCLA was incredible to witness, but also not a surprise. Like we've seen him do this before. That was not a fluke. Um, he can do that, but he is, can also have games where he just kind of shoots himself out of a game and, and isn't able to, to sustain that shooting. I think he only, I don't remember, I can pull it up, but he did not score much in that um, in the round of 32 games. So, if it comes down to like mono Imano, Paulo versus um Love. versus Caleb Love, that would be it'd be exciting, but it would be, you know, Caleb can <laughs> Caleb's certainly capable of it. But what I love about the Carolina team is anyone can step up and have that that game. Like you said, RJ Davis, Manic, Baycott. Um, we do not live or die by by Caleb Love, but we certainly can um can live with him. Um carrying us to to a victory so hopefully um you know a couple of those guys are going to step up hopefully they all play well and yeah i feel these teams are are more evenly matched than i think anyone realizes at this point yeah it's and again you just don't know what's going to happen in the tournament for example like iowa virginia tech and um tennessee all three of those teams won pretty big power five conferences and they won one NCAA tournament game between them. Like, it's just so any given, whatever, any given day, somebody can win, like somebody can be hot. I could see Duke winning this game by 10. I hope not. I could see UNC winning this game by 10. It's just, it's so unpredictable. And that's, that's what we love about March. And the other thing too, I love about again, this final four is that it's all the best teams are here. I don't really think that there's one team in here where I'm like, ah, they kind of don't belong. They right. snuck in. Like every single team here is really freaking good. And there's a reason why they're in this final four. There's no flukes. There's no, there's no upsets. These are the best four teams in college basketball right now. And it's going to be fun to watch them duke it out this weekend. Yeah. Do you have, so as you know, you've known me for a long time and as a Carolina fan, this is, I don't want to say it's the biggest game in the history of, of the rivalry, but it's, it's the first time they've ever met in the tournament, it's the biggest, you know, it's the final four and, you know, Hubert's first season coach case last season. So as I prepare for this week, are there any questions that you have for me as a, as a Carolina fan currently staring um, the apocalypse in the face? Yes. Um, how long will you not be able to, will, will you watch the national championship game? Should Duke advance? Yeah. Yes. Because I think that the question, one of the questions of this is, is this game bigger than the national championship game for these two fan bases? And the answer is absolutely yes. Like I, both France more, I think more for Carolina 
Um, cause Duke is, does still have the coach K thing. And if he loses in the title, that's, you know, tough way to go out. Um, but if you told either of these fan bases, you will, I guarantee you will win on Saturday and lose on Monday. I think 90%, if not more people would take it. I would take it, um, to win and then lose in the national championship game. So if they do, um, if Duke does win in advance, I will still hold out hope for someone to knock off coach K and to see that end, um, in the right way, but it would be tough. This, the, the hard part about this game is too, that we've already had our great moment of sending coach K off at Cameron and this game, depending on what happens, I think undoes that about 90% unless and hundred percent if Duke wins the championship. So that's unfortunate because we had it. And that, and now it's something that's never happened before is happening and we're playing in the tournament, but the opportunity to double down on that is why I was like, we need to, you know, the risk is worth the reward at this point for this game to happen. And, and I believe in the team, I believe that they can um, absolutely beat this, this Duke team again. So if I think, I mean, as far as like, you may not see me, I may not be on the podcast for a while, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like i'm gonna go live after the game if carolina wins and there may not be an episode for about a month if they lose so um would you take i'm trying to think like just in the legacy standpoint right. is this yeah it all right would you take losing to duke for the next 10 years if you knew you could win this game and win the national championship would you make that trade if, if Duke's not winning national championships, yes. It's ultimately the thing about this rivalry has always been Carolina's always had the edge in terms of like total um, record because Carolina as a program has been around um, and kind of winning at a higher rate for longer, you know, before Coach K got there. And then they've been pretty even since. Carolina has the edge by one right now in national championships. Um, so that's what, you know, drawing even would be tough in this case. Uh, but if, yeah, I mean, if Carolina were to, especially with Hubert, um, if they were to win a championship in the first year, that'd be unbelievable. And in- yes, this um, this game means more than a national championship. Okay. In <laughs> Coach K's, here. I can't believe we're <laughs> in Coach K's last season too. Right. I mean, think about it. Think about how many, like, from the '90s on, like, how many really good teams and programs both of these schools have had they haven't met in the elite eight sweet 16 well they like, never put them in the same bracket no no they That's won why. but but still they just somehow some way in coach k's last and final season they are going head to head with a chance would you all right would you rather have this game be the national championship or do you like it here in the final four? oh no i like it here okay um, i like it here um <laughs> And I'm sure whoever wins the uh, other the other semifinal will like it a lot too because there's going to be an extremely hungover team uh, coming in on Monday night. And the other thing I would say is, so this is in New Orleans in the Superdome. So the potential, the looming potential of not one, but two of the most um, devastating losses of my sports viewing career um, with the 2009 NFC Championship game coming in the Superdome. I don't like that. Uh, I do not like that. So hopefully some redemption in New Orleans for for myself personally yeah um oh i don't think i have any other questions for you oh i guess the last one is do you think that for those who do partake in the vegas wagering how many duke (laughs) fans do you think are hedging 
their emotions on North Carolina and how many North Carolina fans are hedging their emotions on Duke. Because I can tell you, if I was in your shoes, I would be putting a lot of money on Duke just to say, you know what, I'm hedging my emotions. I'd pay $100, $200, whatever, right. to see North Carolina beat these guys. I'm sure that it is in the hundreds of thousands of total dollars that are being spent on the other side just so that you know that if worse comes to worse, you at least get a little bit of a thicker wallet. Yeah, it's been interesting because <laughs> what I think I would have done is I would have emotionally hedged on Duke from the start of this tournament and you know gotten much better odds. But for me at least, and I may not be the only one, it was until this matchup was a reality and there was actually, a, I was looking at the, the college basketball subreddit because people were talking about this from like the sweet 16, like the potential of this matchup and Carolina fans and Duke fans like, we're all like, no, you know, please, we don't want it. There's like a college basketball doomsday clock that was putting the percentages of, <laughs> of the potential matchup. And once it got to, you know, I thought, honestly, I thought there was no way Carolina was going to lose to St. Peter's. So once Duke won, um, I kind of got to the point of like, I have to go all in on this game. And I am because I, again, I believe in this, in this Carolina team, that doesn't necessarily mean they will win, but I think that, you know, if you play this game 10 times, I, I don't know, six, four Duke, maybe something like that. Um, they're very even um, if not five, five. So, um, so that's why I'm not hedging. I'm like, on one hand, I'm very glad that Hubert and the other, you know, the players and stuff have been very careful with their words. It's no, no bulletin board material. None of that stuff. We're just taking it, you know, straight ahead. You know, we know what this game means, but you know, you got to be all in on, on this as a, as a member of this, of this, you know, the greatest rivalry in, in college sports, you got to believe in your, you know, you got to ride with your color, got to ride with Carolina blue. So, yeah. so that's what I'm doing. And I, I think they're, I think they can do it. I hope they can <laughs> And, and also, like, as a sports fan, I mean, would you rather have this or would you rather have it like Duke and North Carolina both lose in the Sweet 16? I mean, as much as that would give you more comfort. I think I still Duke. would have rather had them both lose in the Sweet 16. <laughs> but ask me again at midnight on Saturday. I know. It, it's still, though, like, just the anticipation for this. Like, this is why we love sports. This is why we watch it is because you get games like this and – like the, the talk and the buildup is almost more fun and more exciting than them actually like playing the game. Like all the articles that are being written and all this talking heads, like, and just everything else that like goes into it. it it's why we love sports. And so no matter, okay, I won't say no matter what happens, because I'd hate it if Coach K won the national championship. Yeah. But going up to the game, I'm very excited that this is the matchup we get. And hopefully the game delivers as well. Yeah, I do think that they'll potentially have to earn it. Um, Duke has not had to play a one seed yet. They got lucky with that, but, you know, beating Carolina and then potentially a Kansas matchup would would certainly be earning it. I hope that the game is well played. I hope the better team wins. Um, the team that plays better on that night, I hope it's not like, a again, that the refs or foul trouble and stuff are not the, the storyline, that, but that it's, yeah, a well-played game and that they're able to to work it out on the court. And Hubert's going to have him ready too. Hubert is very good at, I think we learned this from the game at Cameron about saying all the right things, you know, to the press and in public and then behind closed doors, like he's talking, he's getting them in the right mindset to come out and not just play a clean game, but to be ready for a fight. And he's always talking about that. And um, 
I think after the Duke game, they said like something along the lines of like, we came in and we knew we were going to have to either be ready to win the game or win the fight. And luckily we didn't have to fight. We just won the game or something like that. So they're going to be ready. And I, yeah, I don't know if I'm going to be ready. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to be ready. Yeah. I need a pep talk from you, but I'm going to, man, I might have to get into a deep dive of like all the Carolina Duke YouTube video, YouTube highlights. I'm going to watch Danny green on Greg Paulus, everything else. Um, John Henson. And has there been a Duke North Carolina game that you can remember more hyped than the one we're about to see on Saturday? Well, I mean, coach K is yeah, but okay. But that's because of the context. Like it's hard because I feel like as a college basketball fan, college basketball isn't quite what it used to be as far as the talent and the, well, the talent's there, but just like the legacy of the players, you know, staying longer and stuff. And I'm all for one and done and people going pro, but you had these, you know, you had Tyler Hansborough staying for four years and winning in Cameron every single year. And you had, you know, beating JJ Redick on his senior night and some of those sorts of things. And so some, some of the the names and the legacies, um, I still feel like are bigger than like, it's hard to imagine if you told me that the biggest game in Carolina Duke history features, you know, Armando Baycott and Caleb Love against Paolo Benchero and Jeremy Roach. Like that doesn't mean as much, but these guys are building this as well. And this is what it is now. And I mean, these guys are already this, this Carolina team, no matter what happens on Saturday, they've built themselves a heck of a legacy with, um, the iron five and winning that game in Duke and then making a final four run. Um, you know, that that's, that's enough for them to be, um, to be celebrated, but now they have the chance to be, um, to be among the the biggest names in the program's history. So it's, I can't believe it's happening after all these years. I never thought I'd see it. Just be, just be glad for the ride. And like yeah. you said, these guys, yeah, they're going to deserve every, no matter no matter what happens, this this North like Final Four to me is yeah as much as you want to win national championships and maybe it's because I'm from programs like I root for Minnesota Oklahoma State like Final Four banners hang just as proud for a lot of people and a lot of programs as and national championship titles so it's it those guys better be remembered in North Carolina lore. But yeah, like you said, Joel Berry is kind of the one of a kind is is a rarity nowadays. So, or that caliber of player. Yeah, who who are you picking to win the national championship? Well, in my ESPN, you're bracket, not talking to me. Not they're talking to me. But no, I I think it's gonna. I think it's Kansas. Like that's that's been the team I've been on from from the get go. They just have. David McCormick is so good defensively and offensively. Um, Abaji is playing really well. Jalen Wilson is like the thing is Kansas has two guys in um, Jalen Wilson and Remy Martin, who like they are very, very good basketball players and they just play their roles so well at Kansas. And um, I just think that the, this Kansas team is built like a national title team. And so I, I just think that it's going to be Kansas Villanova without Justin Moore has me concerned. So maybe that's just why I think that they have the best chance of winning their final four game. And then 
Well, I think it's a good bet because of the emotional hangover of whoever wins this, this Carolina Duke game too. So like I said, this is, if uh, right now I'm going to say North Carolina is going to win the national championship. Um, but again, anything that happens after Saturday night, if they win is, is gravy. So um, I want to, I want to highlight one thing about Roy Williams while we're here, because it's been so cool to see the way that he, you know, stepped aside last year, almost exactly a year ago, and it'll be a year, it'll be a year ago on Friday. And then Saturday will be the game um, when Hubert Davis um, took over for Roy Williams. And people were kind of surprised when he stepped away. Um, time was coming, but to do it so kind of abruptly. And he just talked about how he was pretty hard on himself, which I don't think was totally um, right, but it's, it's right knowing him. Um, and he just said that he wasn't the right guy for the program anymore. And he's been so supportive of, of Hubert and, you know, wanting him to take the, take the reins. And he had a quote after the game on Roy Williams did after the game to make the final four. And someone caught up with him as they were celebrating and he was, you know, he didn't go down on the floor or anything. He's, he's respecting from a distance, but being so supportive of the players and, and of Hubert and Roy Williams said, um, it's perhaps, and he's talking about the, them making the final four this year, to me, the greatest moment of my basketball career. I've never had any more faith and love for one man and to think that he just won it. He's better than I ever was right now, which I mean, no, but, <laughs> but he was, he's right in that Hubert was the right guy for this, for this team and for this next era. And it's so cool to see um, the way that that's developed. And, you know, I think that there's, you know, they're earning a lot as far as future recruits and stuff through this process. But um, I just love Roy and I love the way that he's stayed connected and supported these guys um, and didn't feel like he was abandoning them or anything like that, but obviously made the right decision um, for what they've been able to do this year with a team that's almost the exact same as last year's team. So as you can tell, I love Carolina basketball, no matter what happens and the potential of the, of the win on Saturday night is very exciting. So any other thoughts you have on the final four on college basketball before we go? No, again, it's it's a blue blood final four. It's I think uh, Big Cat and Barstool said it best. Like the first two weekends, you just want the chaos and you want the St. Peter's of the world. You want Auburn to go down. You want I. You, you want the Flames. And then by the time the the big boy came games come around, the Elite Eight, the Final Four, you just want the best out there right. slugging it out. And we've got the best slugging it out this weekend. So. It should be very fun. I hope it's very fun. Um, just looking forward to two great games on Saturday and then hopefully a Roy Williams bowl on <laughs> yeah, Monday night. The other, well, I mean, either like if Carolina does win somehow, um, you're either playing Kansas who they've um, lost to in the final four before, as well as um, the elite eight. And there's history there with Roy, of course, or Villanova who they um, lost to in the national championship in 2016. So yeah, a lot of history with all these teams, and it's going to be something. That's for sure. I still can't believe it's happening. Uh, last question: What was the uh, what's the Oscar bet you're most proud of winning? Well, none of the none of the long shot odds ones hit. That's what was kind of concerning to me. Is there is there's this guy who his name is uh, it's Ben Zalzimer, I believe, um, and he has an he's a Harvard grad with a algorithm that predicts like who's going to win each Oscar. 
And there are a few long shots I took where he said like they had a 14% chance winning or some, uh, I, I don't even know what it was, but I, I think the best, well, the most impressive one was probably Will Smith. Cause I was worried they were just going to yank that right up, right from under him after it happened. After you so. bet one ten to win 10. 110 to win 10. Absolutely. <laughs> and even worse is I had, um, I think it was the supporting actress from West Side Story. It was 180 to win 10 as well. So I, I, I lost a lot of money though on um, the best picture. I, I thought Power Dogs yeah. had great Power value, but, unf- but unfortunately Coda was the, uh, was the odds on favorite. This Zalzimer guy had, um, this Zalzimer guy said that the power dogs was the odds on favorite, but unfortunately he was incorrect uh, on that. You're obviously one. speaking from a place of a lot of movie knowledge as you're calling it the power dogs. Um, what is it called? Power of the dog. <laughs> power of the dog. Yeah. That's all right. It was an oh. eventful night. I have no comment other than I enjoyed all the jokes on Twitter. I was going to say, Ooh, by the way, his, uh, I'm, I'm just looking up his, uh, his thing. Final four he says odds. that wraps up my 11th year of mathematical Oscars coverage. He said he went 19 for 20 and he missed the only one that I bet heavily on. So <laughs> tough, tough, tough. So you're riding it all on uh, Kansas. Yeah. We're going to take all our money and we're just, we're going to try and catch up though. going to try and catch everything up to, uh, with a Kansas final four or national championship ticket. If you can find anything on the Lakers to miss the playoffs, I put it all on that too. That that's also a, <laughs> that's also a train wreck. As much as we like to talk about some teams that get better throughout yeah. the year, uh, the Los Angeles Lakers are a case study in the exact opposite mm-hmm. of what happens when teams get worse. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. The last one is you better throw a little bit down on the, on the hometown kid as, as Paige Beckers has a chance to win, to win a national championship in Minneapolis next weekend too. So as we're watching an exciting final four for the men, the women are going to have an exciting final four as well. And I will be pulling for UConn and Paige. It. So this will be really interesting. I, I work in sales. And so I was talking with this one guy who I figured he was a basketball fan and was just talking, you know, March madness. And he said that his daughter was a big Paige Beckers fan. And it's really cool because, you know, as like as a guy, like I have a lot of different people that are featured, you know, Chet and Jalen Suggs are Minnesota guys, but there's mm-hmm. just so many other like male positive, like male athletes that are featured, like right. whatever I could, LeBron James, Steph Curry, Joel Embiid, like all that stuff. Like Paige Becker is, is a big freaking deal. And I, it's going to be, I think people are underestimating how many are going to come out for the women's final four here in Minneapolis. Like it'd be comparable. I'd say to the amount of buzz that when the, if the Gophers had made it. Right. Yeah, I agree. And good for her for going to UConn and having this opportunity because she wouldn't have had it with the, with the Gophers. So yeah, excited for her. It's still crazy that they have to wait. Um, I'm sure she wants to stay, but three years to go pro from, from NCAA to the WNBA. So we should get at least one more year and then hopefully the links can tank and pick her up. <laughs> exactly. Just bring it full circle. Once again, just bring it full circle again, like with Lindsay Whalen. Yep. And maybe Maya will come back, but not holding my breath for that. All right, Grant. Thank you. Um, yeah. I will probably be nervously texting you throughout Saturday and yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm not looking forward to it, um, but 
it's going to come and I'm going to be all in. So thank you again for all your expertise and I'll talk to you next time. All right. We'll see you, Josiah. I wish you guys nothing but best. The ceiling is the roof. Let's make it happen. Let's keep moving forward. Congratulations.